Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. You know, like you do. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. Sure did. I'm Rob Benedict, and I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. Yeah, you are, and yeah, you did. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I play the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. I also had the privilege of directing a bunch of episodes of the show. Have a few more AKAs, why don't you? Jeez. A.k.a. you're a jerk. Though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Oh, that's not true anymore. Now... We're deep into it. We are going episode by episode and diving in with the folks who made it to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And you're getting our pure, honest, unfettered reviews. And along the road, let me tell you, we're becoming fans. Buddy, we are super fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement's about. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. We will be hitting on some spoilers, so consider yourself warned. And if you have any angry emails you want to send, please direct them to Babo. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hey everybody, this is Rob Benedict. And I am Richard Spade Jr. And we're talking about Season 4, Episode 15, Death Takes a Holiday. Or as we like to say, Death just took a holiday because Christmas is behind us. Yep, and it's the new year. And now death is hard at work. Back at it, clock it in. Be sure to follow the podcast on YouTube and TikTok at SPN Then and Now. Why? Because we're starting to post more clips there. Ooh, more clips, like video clips? Yeah. Audio clips? All the clips. <laughs> hair clips. clips. of our hair? Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah, if you love the podcast and you want to see more, go follow us at YouTube and TikTok. You'll be glad you did. Spread the word, SPN Then and Now. Robbie. Why don't you summarize the episode for us, please? Sam and Dean respond to a call from Bobby and head to Grable, Wyoming to investigate why people have stopped dying. They attempt to summon the ghost of Cole Griffith, the most recent person to die. However, at Cole's gravesite, they are ambushed by Alistair. Dean gets knocked unconscious, but Sam is immune to Alistair's power. Sam uses his powers against Alistair and vanquishes him out of the possessed body. Alistair retreats. When Dean comes to, he asks Sam about how he's immune to Alistair's powers. Sam lies and says he doesn't know. Dean suggests they solicit the help of the psychic Pamela Barnes to help them cross over into the astral plane to question Cole, who hasn't crossed over yet. Pamela performs a ritual and releases Sam and Dean's spirits from their bodies. They locate Cole and ask him about what's going on. Cole tells the brothers that a reaper arrived but disappeared after some black smoke started to show up. Tessa, the reaper that appeared to Dean when he was on his deathbed at the beginning of season two, arrives to escort Cole to the other side. The boys lie to Cole to get him to reveal the location of the black smoke, the funeral home. So Sam and Dean tell Cole that he'll be able to stay with his family. 
They ask Tessa to not take Cole until they figure out what is going on. Suddenly, black smoke arrives and Tessa is gone. Sam and Dean, in spirit form, head to the funeral home and find it covered in blue Enochian sigils. Inside, they find the Reapers trapped by symbols. The brothers get trapped by being encircled by an iron chain. Alistair appears and kills one of the Reapers. He's trying to break another one of the 66 seals. Sam and Dean use their ghost powers to bring down a chandelier, breaking Tessa's trap, allowing her to escape. That's a bummer for her trap. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Pamela Barnes is back at the motel, keeping watch over Sam and Dean's bodies. Suddenly, she's attacked by a demon. She's able to bring Sam back, but it's too late. The demon has stabbed her. Sam exercises the demon. Elsewhere, Castiel appears to Dean and confesses that it was he that sent Sam and Dean on this mission, not Bobby. He tells Dean that due to what the boys did, the angels were able to prevent the seal from being broken and captured Alistair. Castiel also explains to Dean that he is different. Dean then helps Tessa convince Cole to accept his fate and cross over. Dean, now back in his body, finds that Pamela Barnes is dying from the stab wound. In her last moments, she whispers to Sam that his powers are not good, no matter what his intentions. Dean asks what she said, and Sam is silent. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, let's review this son of a gun. Um, Well, good review there. I mean, good summary there, Robbie. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As an episode, I really liked this episode, man. I thought it was, yeah. uh, I love Alistair. I love Christopher Heyerdahl. Man, he is so, gosh darn So he's great. Actor. He's great. So this is the third incarnation of Alistair that we've seen. So in chronological order, it was Guy from Shawshank, then this the guy in one scene at the at the, the gravesite, and then Christopher Heyerdahl. Man, I should we should know the Shawshank guy's name because he is awesome. So as a review, I loved this episode. I thought it was super great. I love Christopher Heyerdahl. I love the story. I love the the kid drifting around trying to figure out his, you know, what death means to him and watching his mom. I thought that kid was a really great little actor, that guy. A great actor. The the mom, who really didn't have a ton to do, was also great. Great. Um, Heartbreaking. I just thought it was all, I thought uh, when the Reaper sort of takes the boy out of there, a guy broke my heart. And also, I got to say, I was really struck by, this is just a personal thing. Mark Ralston. Mark Ralston. Mark Ralston, so good as uh, Alistair. Yeah. Uh, and he's also so good in, in Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Um, I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago who died of an asthma attack at his house. No way. Like, or di- and, and didn't die, die. Like, had an asthma attack, couldn't get to his inhaler, inhaler couldn't get to 911 in time. Got but, Well, he dialed 911, but by the time they got there, he was brain dead. And so he's been on a machine for years. And it just, it on a personal note, it struck me that that kid, that's what happened to that kid. Oh it my just, God. a lot of times these things feel like TV, but if you know anything, if you have anybody who's had that kind of experience of, of anything you've ever watched or anything, you're just like, it kind of pulls you out of it for a second. I was like, whoa, man. And that, then, then it really, that also feels like a legitimate way that a young boy could die accidentally going out without his medication and it's too cold. It just broke my heart. I thought it was a really well, uh, written scenario and really well shot and performed a scenario. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I kind of enjoyed them being in that other realm. Yeah, me too. So explain to me exactly when Castiel appears at the end, what exactly is happening? I don't know. I got a little lost there. And I also didn't understand why Dean was mad at him because he'd gotten rid of the guy. So I'm like, why, why right. are we, why are you sour about that? You know, right. I don't know. I, I was a little, didn't quite pick up on that detail at the end, but it didn't do enough to damage my my fondness for the episode. So Alistair's now dead. No, they captured him or something. Right, so they captured him. 
So that's where it is. I, you know, so I just thought it was a really great episode. I thoroughly enjoyed having uh, Lindsay McKeon back as the as the Reaper. She's really good. She's really great. We we did a convention together uh, years ago, and yeah, uh, she couldn't be nicer. Yeah, her welcome back. You know, nice to have her. Nice to have the character of Pamela Barnes back. That's an interesting character. So uh, overall, I thought it was great. Yeah, I am going to give this not a perfect Stapleton. Uh huh. I'm giving it a Kenny Rogers. And and that's and that's just saying I thought it was really, really, really good. Uh-huh. I just reserve because a little bit of the confusion at the end with Cassiel, like the ending wasn't seamless to me in that regard. Uh-huh. So like, you know, I'm I'm saving the the Chris Stapleton for the for the perfect tens, and this is you know a nine point five. So right. I'm going uh Kenny Rogers in this bad boy. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um yeah, I'm uh I'll do 70s Kenny Loggins, not full-on 80s Kenny Loggins, which is really where it it started to glow a little bit. Right. So you're going 70s Loggins? Early 70s, early 70s, really before he made a name for himself. Like Loggins Messina Loggins? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I agree with you on your review. I'm not quite, I'm not totally, it's not all there. It took me a while loved to get it. into it. I mean, absolutely loved it, but you know what I'm saying. It's not, yeah, not perfect, but it's. It's really, really, really great. Just the casting of that boy. I just that's great casting. Really good casting of that boy. And the smoke effect is always so good. It's great. And that struggle that when Pamela Barnes is trying to whisper the the Latin into their ears to bring them back, but the the demons that's got that's got her is pulling her back. I thought that was a great struggle. That was cool. It was a cool yeah. fight. I know she's her character's blind and then sort of getting beaten up using her skill set as right. a an intuitive spirit. Right. reader but right. also not being able to see it, it made right. for a really interesting and, and sort of hard fight to watch in sort right. of a cool tv way right and as soon as as soon as alistair's captured and people could start dying again the blood just starts pouring out of her you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah it's really trippy yeah all right all right let's get to it let's get I to mean, it Returning guest Steve Boyum was a frequent director of Supernatural in its first five seasons. He's a legendary stuntman and TV director, having worked on such legendary films as Predator, Apocalypse Now, and Lethal Weapon. Recently, he's been directing episodes of The Boys, Gen V, and The Old Man, all shows that we love. And here's our interview with Steve Boyum. Thanks for doing this again. Oh, you're welcome, man. It's been too long. I, I was trying to think of the last time. It's almost two years ago. Really? Year and a half. Oh, wow. Well, it was summer. Yeah, summer before last. Well, I guess it feels not that long ago because I saw you while striking. I saw you at the big That's picket true. event. We, drinking. Drink, day, day there may have been some daytime drinking. I don't want to point any fingers, but <laughs> there was definitely some, yeah. <laughs> some daytime drinking um the but before we get into our conversation are you off to something else now or are you is the old man going is it like what's what's up oh old man um they're still going to shoot in january cool i finished the two episodes that i was or two of the episodes i was supposed to do but now i'm back on gen v oh jim v. Um, i didn't even know jim v officially got a pickup so so they did yeah, it did. Yeah, so I'm the. They talked me into producing, directing it this year. So I'm now kind of almost full time in that, except not in Toronto. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into this, Robert. Shall we? Are we ready? All right. Um, all right, so we're talking about uh, episode 15, Death Takes a Holiday. Now, at this point, you're a friend of the show. Do you get options on the episodes you direct, or do you get assigned a script, 
And if available, you you take it. Yeah, it's it's I think more of an assignment. I you know because they book us all at the beginning of the season, right. and they they don't have all the scripts. Now I've been suspicious for uh, a long time that I tend to get the episodes that I end up getting on every show I do are seem more complicated than the rest of the episodes that are around it at the same time. Right. So I feel like they'll tend to write towards whoever they're, well, I've always taken it personally that they just don't like me and they're going to make my life miserable. (laughs) You know, so I, I, you know, having never read the original versions when they were, you know, just out of the writer's room, you know, I, I suspect, you know, with all directors, they'll tailor a little bit, you know, when they know who's booked. Right. And, you know, kind of go, okay, well, this guy's really good at this. So we'll put more yeah. of that in it. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I see from my angles. Like it feels like they go, oh, this would be a good episode, you know, for Steve to direct or this is a good rich episode or whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, in my experience, it's, oh, I've just been a number on a, on a calendar <laughs> and whatever script comes up on that date is, is me, you know? Right. Right, right. Well, I think that's the case, too, with with pretty much all of them. And then, you know, I mean, they can go, okay, we can, you know, add or subtract bells and whistles that they might be able to, uh, right. uh, that the particular director can blow. Yeah, right. <laughs> somebody can ruin. Um. <laughs> and, and ding. <laughs> and so this is your third episode that you directed. You come in, and a lot has happened since the, the last episode you directed. How do you, what was it like, how do you get caught up? Because back in this these days, it was just DVD, I guess, right? How, like, yeah. how, did you, how do you get caught I mean, up on what's happening? I don't remember how we got caught up then. That's a good point. I don't even know if it was DVD. It might have been VHS tape in this day Jeez, yeah. and age. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I know. I know. But, you know, in this season, I'd, I'd done, I think, uh, the Origins one with the, you know, with the two young Winchesters. or with, Right. You know, um, so I, I, I think I kind of knew where the season was going and then Kripke always, you know, uploads you on what was and what was to come this season. I, we didn't have Kim and in season two, when I, you know, came in on the show, Kim was really there to kind of help you figure out what had been before and where it was going. Right. Yeah. So I think I relied a little bit more on the direct line to Crip, but you know, I mean, and this one, you know, I think this one kind of fell into the envelope of, uh, you know, I think I'm right about this, but I think Kripke's original Bible for the series that he was interested, the story that he was interested in telling was a four-season thing. And when CW loved the show over the years and they wanted, they didn't want it to go away, so they, uh, Eric kind of expanded his original story arc out to five episodes right five seasons. so i think this this was one of them that you know we would always joke around i think you guys did this as well that you know this wasn't monster of the week but right. it was you know one of those that you know it had some it had a through line to it and that you're seeing sam's you know powers start to really start to take over with him right. and you're revisiting dean you know, when he met death before and, you know, the Reaper. Right. That, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, te- you know, Tessa. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the through line was there, but it wasn't really one of the, you know, it could have been a standalone really. And uh, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Although yeah. you're, you know, bringing Alistair back in. I mean, it was the, you know, it was the through line of the show. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah. I thought it was interesting, you speaking of that, like these sort of elements of that show, Rob and I are trying to watch them in order, so we're trying to follow suit. But for the fact that they you brought the Reaper back, Lindsay, and they you use flashback to sort of remind us why we know her, it did feel kind of standalone-ish. You know what I mean? I mean, I know we brought back Pamela Barnes. I know we brought back the Reaper and, and Alistair in a different form. But the story was cohesive enough to not feel like if you missed last week, you're not, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, and, you know, I, that's how I felt, um, you, you know, when I rewatched the show to get ready to do this because it's been so long, it, which has really been fun to go back and look at what we were doing back in the, you know, early 2000s. And um, my, I, I was in my daughter's editing room and she was editing. And, uh, you know, she's a fan of the show as well. And she was kind of listening to this episode, just, the you know, the, the uh, sound of it. And she's going, you know, I don't, I don't remember this episode. And frankly, I didn't remember it until I saw it. And then, then so many great memories came, you know, flooding back with the thing. And, uh, you know, it was just a great cast overall. What was interesting was, you know, casting the Alistair version that, you know, right. what that, you know, is Chris hired all. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you guys remember, you know, we'd go over across the bridge and go to North Van to, Kareen and Heidi's place and we'd sit and listen to auditions and you know this one really could have been you know all the auditions you know good actors but reading it you know reading Alistair in a way that wasn't you know some good some bad but very like okay well that was the words on the page and performed well but Hyredal came in the room and put such a different spin on that I forget who I was with. I might have been with Jim Michaels. I don't know if I was with Singer. I might, have, yeah, I was with Jim Michaels actually. And he and I are sitting behind the monitors, and you know, our jaws are becoming slack. And when we go to look at each other for confirmation, we're both, you know, jaws down to the floor with this guy. It's like, really? Well, I guess. It- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the cool way to be this guy. (laughs) Yeah. Would you you think he was doing like, do you think he knew what Mark Ralston had done with that same? Because it it felt like a through line from what Mark Ralston had done. I'm not sure he did. He may have. It it really made sense that, you know, they both of them sort of had, you know, Heyerdahl was really doing a bit, but really matched kind of what Ralston had done. In the pre- when we previously had seen, the yeah, character. it did seem like that. Well, he he may have, and then he tricked me. I thought it was something really original. And no, no, I mean, it, I think he puts his own spin on it too. It's a little bit of both, you know. I mean, he had a bit of Nicholson to it, you know. I mean, yes. it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a le- there's, uh, yeah, completely, uh, yeah. I just, you, I, we, you know, we really love what he in did in a good way, very theatrical. I I, I yeah. thought he was fantastic. I got to say, I um I remember hired all from years ago from watching one of those episodes previous to Rob and I doing this podcast. And he's just been a standout in that role to me from the get-go. Yeah, I, I think Crip uh, latched on to him, which was a good thing. I actually cast him shortly thereafter on Human Target to do something completely different. And he did a completely different thing. But uh, Oh, wow. You know, and I, I'd forgotten about Chris until I just rewatched this episode again. So I, I want to drag him. Well, me, too. I was thinking the same uh, thing. I'm like, I got to put that guy on my short list. And by the way, right. I'm sure if Chris Hardell <laughs> listens to this podcast, he'll be like, you forgot about me. 
Hold on now. I'm right here. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> and so it's a great, great, but the, the casting in this episode is great. I mean, uh, the child actor, Alexander Gould, who played Cole, was great. He, I thought the casting of him was fantastic. He's kind of spooky, you know, has that look, the dead kid who hasn't, who can't, you know, leave yet. Um, I thought he was fantastic. You know, he was already an established professional actor. He'd done a bunch of stuff. Had so he? he, he oh, yeah. He was, you know, I remember him now thinking back on it. You know, he had the scenes with Jensen and Jared and teaching them, the, you know, how to use their powers as ghosts to actually interact with physical objects. And it was like dealing with the two guys. I mean, it wasn't like dealing with a kid. Now, you, you know, you always have to remind yourself it's a kid, so I can't swear and whatnot, you know, around right, them, right, but, right. or you're not supposed to. Right. Um, but no, he was like an old soul, but just, God, he was so haunting and so good. Yeah. And, um, you know, the the one scene that I, I'd latched on to when I first read the script, and even before I before we cast him, he was cast in L.A., and uh, was the scene in the... Um, when he's in the closet with Sam, yeah, you know, the idea of having him be in total shadow and black and just letting a slice of light catch his eye when he chose to show it. And, you know, for an actor to understand at that age, especially, okay, this is, this, this is the world that you can come into where we're actually going to see you. So choose your moments into that light that, you know, or make the scene as powerful as it can. Yeah. You know, and dealing with, I, I don't remember, he must have been 14, 12, 13, 14 years old at most, but he got it. You know, I mean, and, you know, with a lot of adult actors, you know, that don't understand lighting and camera and everything else, you know, they, it, you're then having to kind of step them through it going, okay, on this line, lean in. Right. But I, you know, I remember that he, you know, and, and, it was interesting in those days, too, as kind of an aside, you know, for Sarah LaDuce, uh, our DP, you know, in that era of, of, you know, the speed of camera film, I think we shot on, it might have been on film. Um, if not, it was early generation. Um, I think we shot on film on this episode. But to carry the exposure into the, into the shadow and then the, having that light be part of it. You know, I noticed it looking at it yesterday that, you know, in this day and age where you, you can crank your ASAs up right. to, you know, 5,000, you know, you're you're going to carry that darkness. There's not going to be any breakup in it at all. Yeah. And you can really see the exposure struggling to kind of balance the two. That scene was, you know, I thought was really cool. And I, I think it was set in a closet. I'd love to take credit for thinking of the idea. I'll take credit for thinking of the idea of the slice of light. I'll go that far. But no, the kid was amazing. And yeah. um, the cast across the board, you know, yeah. um, Pamela, who goes by, you know, Thunderbird now, which was a cool, a cool mm -hmm. name. Um, yeah. You know, she's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that was the first time I'd ever, you know, with her now that I think about it. You know, to choreograph a fight scene with someone who's not sighted. <laughs> right. I, I remember that to be kind of okay. Well, let's figure this yeah. out. So yeah, rehearse yeah. with your eyes closed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What it yeah. Looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great scene too when she's struggling to whisper in their ear and yeah, being pulled pulled away. Ahoy, Rich Spade here. Hope you're enjoying the episode. But we got to pull over for a second for some messages. 
you can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit seekanomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for listening. Now back to the episode. You had a visual effect. Well, I think it's visual effect. I guess the girl jogging through the guys is visual effect. How did you handle, because I know it was a time before things were simple in visual effect land, and right. you put them in the other world, right? You put them in the in the spirit world. Part of that is look, I assume, of like LUT and, you know, colored you know temperature and lighting but then you also had that the gimmicks of the of the actress jogging through the guys and right or putting his hand yeah. through well yeah that and, the, and then you know when when uh uh the kid um cole you know shows him how to fight and hit each right. other right and you know also too you know speaking about the end was i think it was the first that's the first time i ever that i ever had the chance to do the same character in the same scene which is, you know, when after Pamela's put them to sleep and Jensen wakes up and goes, well, that didn't work. And then he yeah. looks back at himself and I and Jensen's in the foreground. Yes. And he, Jensen's in the background. Right. Which is, you know, really just a lock off a split screen, basically. And, you know, you put one in and then put the other. And, 
you know, so that was the first time I think I did that, especially with Jensen. And then we did it again in another episode that I think was at the end of season four. And then we really took it to the limit when we did the end. So, you know, it's still the same process. Now, if you put two people in the scene, you still have to do, you know, a pass with both characters. But, you know, now with techno cranes and, and, you know, motion control has become a little bit more affordable. So, you know, it's nice if you can get the camera to move within that, you know, the comp. Yeah the composition two elements together yeah but uh yeah this one was kind of and likewise when when they go in and uh you know they go into the funeral home yeah and they basically get the drop on the guy that demon that's uh, that they first confront you know everything we did it's like okay well let's do a pass with one then do a pass with the other guy swinging at air and then, you know, I mean, so yeah. it was, if, if if nothing else, it was a bit time consuming. Right. You yeah. Know? It also feels like a little bit like the, like the old way. I mean, I mean, you meaning like, the, like if you, if you end up with no money at film school, that's what you do. You do, you know, that and that, and then put them together. And it, and it works. Yeah. You know, I mean, you yeah. look at this episode, even, you know, today being on a big visual effects show, you know, with Gen V now, it's the same basic principles. Yeah. You know, now you have a little bit more your canvas gets a little bit bigger and your palette gets a little more full of paint, but you be, you have to resort, you know, you're, you're working from the same, you know, like the Bible for screen direction. There's a, there's a way that this all has to be done. Now there's, you know, you're still doing the same thing. So, um, uh, and, and it was fun, you know, I mean, it kind of goes to Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula and in that, you know, at least, I think what he I've always heard Francis talk about is that he didn't want any modern visual effects in it. So everything was forced perspective sets and he did things the way that they'd always been done in the past. And, you know, I mean, it's fun uh, and you can still do it and it still holds up. So it really works in this episode. I mean, you really buy Everything. all the that they're in this other world. At no and, point, I mean, if we weren't having this nerdy conversation, Rob, I don't think anybody would notice that it was dated in any way. Like, it doesn't feel... No, uh-uh. The same as when you see a movie now. I mean, it's the same kind of thing, you know. And the, 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 like, ghosts trying to move objects, you know. It's, right. Uh, I mean, you're still doing it with wires and yeah. practicals, you know. Right. Of, you know, of course, now you, you add in flying characters and, sure. and it gets a little bit over the top for me. Sure, but, yeah. You know, the, the old techniques still work and they work then and they work now, you know. I mean, it yeah. goes back. They were doing this back in the 20s, I'm sure, in some right. I feel like there's a conversation yeah. somewhere of some like old timer being like, in my day, I hung from a harness from the goddamn rafters. Didn't even go to lunch. And you kids were standing on a green screen. And hit the goddamn ground. <laughs> exactly. You know what I said? No I said, let's go again. That's what I said. Yeah. No pass. Just rub dirt in it. Go back. <laughs> yeah. I actually died and I was a ghost. I'm dead now. Yes. You can't hear me. Um, <laughs> so what about the uh the uh the Enochian symbols that are on the funeral home? Do you remember that shot? Yeah, what, I do. You know, I mean that that was um was that painted or projected? No, or? that that was all put that was all put in by visual effects. Wow. Oh wow. I believe. You know, I was like, that's a very good question because I was looking at that and I went back and watched it twice yesterday going, God, did we paint that or did we put it in in visual effects? And I'm starting to think that Hayden put that in. 
Huh. You're referring to Ivan Hayden, who is running visual effects. But Jerry, Jerry might have, you know, Weinick, Jerry Weinick, production designer, might have painted that. I don't remember. Huh. It's a very good question. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the answer. Well, either way, if they, you know, it was very L- realistic awesome. looking. If we can't tell, you know, if we don't know how it's on there, it's, it looked real. Yeah, it looked real. And, and I tend to think it might have been a VFX ad. Okay. And I think that the art department did the artwork. Uh, you know, to give a reference. And um, now I'm going to have to look at the thing again. I'll figure it out. Next time okay. we do one of these, I'll have an answer for that okay. since we're bouncing. I tend to bounce from episode to episode yeah. to forget which one we're supposed to be talking about. Sure. Yeah, the one scene in this, I think it was one of the only real, now that I look back on it, um, it's the only, like, certainly not the only scene, scene I've screwed up. But when I watched it, I didn't really get the you know, when the demon chains put the chain up so that the boys couldn't get into the room uh, any further. And I knew it made sense on the page. And I I thought it made sense when I shot it. But now that I look at it, (laughs) I was sitting there watching it yesterday going, where's the sharp implement? (laughs) Man, that would have been a real bummer. Yeah, I mean, how many directors do you guys get to interview to tell you about their monumental Well, I will tell you, a lot of people we (laughs) ask to be on this podcast say, I'd rather die than be on your podcast. (laughs) That's true. Very very few say yes and then change their mind (laughs) mid-episode. Wait, now why why was that a up? I just... it didn't make, I, I knew it made, make sense. Sense. made sense on the page. And I thought I told the story in a way that visually made sense. And I, you know, it, it just, I, I think I'm, there was either I missed a shot or I didn't do something wide enough to really, you know, I think right. I was more into the action of the moment and trying to keep it really energetic and tight right. and, and looking at it again in my, in my advancing years, I'm, it makes me believe more and more that you kind of do need to, it may not be the most exciting shot for 20 frames, but, you know, to give the audience a little frame of reference in the room and where you are. And that yeah. one, I think I got a little too carried away with the, with the uh, jauntiness. <laughs> well, let's go to the audience. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you're 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 a new viewer of this episode, as am I. Did did you were you confused by that? Did it make at sense all? to you? I, now that we're talking about it, no, I don't think it did. Make, I mean, in my mind, I thought it was something supernatural about the chain being up meant that they couldn't get through to him. You know, like like when they draw the the salt on the well, floor. Well, he says those, iron. Those so I thought things. it meant they couldn't cross iron. Was it? They couldn't like. Yeah, because I guess ghosts can't go across iron. Right. But then okay. there was also the the demon's hands, or were they Sam, D, Dean's hands? I couldn't figure it out, burning on the chain. Now, I'm hating myself for even bringing this up because I'm, I'm sitting here just thinking about my, my shortcomings. <laughs> and, uh, Welcome to our world. But now let me let me say this. is This is where actors save your, save your ass because the performances were so good, it didn't really matter where they were. No, it could right. have been sitting out in the park. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and God forbid Tessa's going to, you know, have the uh, the seeds put a, <laughs> across her neck. Yeah. And we didn't need that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the drama overtook the, the bad filmmaking sure. pretty quickly. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I got that. You get the gist of it. And it's still yeah, tense. I didn't. I mean, I, it, it, yeah. I, it tracks for me. Now, of course, now okay. I hate it. But it, but when I watched it originally, I, it, I thought it was great. Yeah, I never had a problem with it. I guess there comes a certain uh, amount of weight when you are you're the guy taking out characters that have, that have been established and are well liked. For example, in this case, Pamela, 
a good death scene, you can't beat those for an actor. And I think maybe too that, you know, good actors kind of process it that way. It's like, okay, well, you know, financially, maybe this is not the best thing. But as an actor, if you just look at it purely as that, it's an opportunity to really give a great performance. Right. A death scene done well is pretty memorable. And that's a good one. <laughs> uh, well, that was a good, you know, in terms of death scenes, it was a good one. It was an honorable death scene. Yeah, she was great. And I, I thought that the boy's reaction to that was really, really good. I, I yeah. really liked that scene a lot. And that's yeah, um, a great, you scene. know, and it kind of propelled the whole story with Sam's, um, you know, new blood and where he was going. So, you know, it kind of left the audience with, a, OK, where is this going next, which is, I think, really good. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really great, great drama. That scene. you know, and I'm surprised too, looking back at these shows, you know, when we do these things, you know, how good we were. And this is across the board for, you know, all you for everybody that was on it and directed it and acted in it. I mean, the the, the way we shot that show holds up today. I mean, it's just great. A hundred percent. Yes. You know, yes. That, that's, you know, has to do with, you know, Sarah's and, and uh, yep. you know, all the camera team and the mm -hmm. art department and, you know, everybody it's just was for the little shows. You know, when you think about the budgets that we made these things on, you know, they were big shows. And, yeah. uh you know, and, and you guys well know what the budgets were on the morning. I can give yeah. this on air, but you know, it, and it was well, well cast too. I have to say from an actor's point of view, it just, it just time and time again, that's the, the guest actors are really fantastic. You know? Yeah. Rare, rarely is there a clunker. I mean, no. and, and you know, I think all the directors on the show were good enough to kind of really make sure that there was enough material that, you know, if you had to help the actor out in post, you could. But right. a lot of times, I mean, the casting, I think, you know, Kripke especially has such a, you know, um, a good sense of acting mm -hmm. and uh, and actors. And, you know, because ultimately, you know, in those days, everything's running. Ultimately, Eric's going to approve it. Right. So, right. you know, we get to pick, you get... You know, I love with with episodic directors in the casting process, you know, generally the rule is, OK, pick your top three. <laughs> and then, right. you know, they end up going back through casting tapes and you go, well, they weren't the one that we cast wasn't even on my top three. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed. What's that saying about what they think about me? Uh, the uh, You know, yeah. it, 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 what you say about the look holding up to is really true. And I obviously that's the the good work of the creative team. It's also a little bit of. There might be a luck of the draw thing and that it was shot in 16 by nine, you know, aspect ratio out of the gate because, you know, anything that had any of that four by three stink on it was, is toast now. Like it's, it, it right. immediately dates it. You go back and watch party of five. I don't care how big a Scott Wolf fan you are. You know, this thing was shot a minute ago, you know, like, so, right. <laughs> and part of that's the aspect ratio. It's just, it also helps that the guys yeah. are wearing flannel and denim. You know that talk about a fashion statement that doesn't age. Timeless. <laughs> so the, the end of the episode features a tribute to Kim Manners. Uh, were were you part of that conversation? Um, yeah, and I didn't know where to land this in our interview, um, <laughs> whether to lead with it or or uh, finish with it. But uh, when when we shot the and Kim was a. a really dear friend to me for many years. I, I'd known Kim for, you know, 30 years before he died. And, um, you know, he, Kim had, had, was diagnosed with lymphoma when he was 30, 32. 
so you know he was he he figured he was dying then. So I'd I'd been through that with him then when he he was an AD at that point on you know at that time we were doing Charlie's Angels, and uh, I was a stunt guy on it and Kim and I were you know really good friends. So I kind of got through one death with him, and then the son of a bitch cheats death and lives large for another 30 years. <laughs> but when we were doing the opening scene with Sam, not the, not well, it was, it was the tease, the cold open, that location, and the interior of the diner uh, when Dean is putting on the jukebox, and then they sit down and they talk about the people are dying in this town, or nobody's dying in this town. And then I think it was the back alley scene with Dean and uh, Tessa and and uh, Misha Castiel. That day, Kim had been sick and in the hospital at this point for you know a, a number of weeks, and he called me. and And that night, it was in North Vancouver, and unseasonably. You know, it snows in Vancouver. We all know that. But it was snowing so hard. It was just piling up and in this back alley. And we called in snow plows and everything else and trying to clean this while I was inside doing the diner scene. So that when we went outside, we at least had somewhat of clean streets. And Kim called me on the phone. And this was two days before he died. And I'll never forget the phone call. And he says, he goes, boy, he goes, this is the end of the ride for me. I'm hanging up the spurs. He goes, I, I don't think I'll be around much longer. And we had that conversation. This is, you know, as, as I'm watching snow plows and looking at my watch and, and worried about the schedule. And I'll never forget that night for this. And it brought back the memories when I was watching the scene. And then, of course, the tribute card at the end. And But it was kind of like, you know... Kim created the look for this show. And, you know, it really was Kim's show. And he, you know, raised those two boys from, you know, teenagers basically into their young adulthood. And a lot of the rules that they learned as actors that they still use, you know, I think today, I just worked with Jensen last year on uh, Gen V. And, you know, I mean, he really, he influenced so many people that, you know, as sad as that phone call sounds, and, and uh, you know, I, if the audience, you know, I don't want to, you know, turn this thing too dark, but it wasn't. You know, in a weird way, when I hung up, it was, and and then Kim passed, you know, the, in the next few days. But it kind of wasn't sad. It was more like, you know, I'm leaving. It's yours to do now, you know. And it was kind of like a pass, not a passing of the torch, but it's a fond memory, not a sad memory for me. So, um, you know, and to see the season dedicated to Kim, you know, a lot of people in the audience don't know who Kim is because the credit cards go by and they see the name. But, you know, to know what a what a genius the little f***er was, you know, and just Kim Manners as a character, you know, I mean, he was just so amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's a, my sad story about Kim, but yeah. it wasn't a sad story. It was a yeah. really cool story. That's a really that's and one a, I'll never that's forget. An awesome it story. made that it, it's what makes this episode, and then watching it again, realizing that this was probably the most impactful for me personally episode because of that right. that yeah. day. And right. um, you know, and and frankly, I think you know we were all sad, but everybody on the show, it was like you know, if your coach, you know, on an NFL team. 
ends up being in the hospital and you guys have to play and play for him anyway. And, you know, it's like with Michigan and Harbaugh when they suspended him from being on the field. And then it became us, you know, us against the world for the team and they go out and kick ass and, yeah. you know, uh, win every game. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that was kind of the torch passing to all of us, I think, that, that Kim gave us. I think I talked to the two boys about that that day after Kim called. You know, it was sad, but sweet, you know, yeah. in a good way. Yeah, so, that's a very lovely story. And, and how poignant that the episode is about death. I know, right? Yeah, poetic. Yeah, yeah, now that you mention it, it is, yeah, uh, yeah it, that is, that's really, uh, makes it even more thought-provoking and yeah. kind of cool. For it sure. It's amazing. For sure. It is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't oh. know, maybe it inspired us to make even a better episode talking about death and maybe we sure. understood more of the, yeah. you know, crossing over kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming back and talking. That was a great conversation. And, uh, I love that what you had to yeah, say about Cam. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was I think that was the right place to do it at the end of the interview. Yeah. That was a good place to tell it. It's always great to see you and chat with you and, and swap stories, buddy. Yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it on the next one that comes up. Absolutely, absolutely. we will. We'll, we'll have you okay. back to talk about the end as you, the as end. you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I look forward to that one. That had some tricks in it we can get into. Good. All right. Okay, Bye, guys. Steve. All right, Steve. Cheers. Have the best day ever. You too, pal. Yeah, you too, buddy. This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Hey, guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means, free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week, you take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now... Back to the show.
That was great. And uh, what a great interview. It was, uh, it's always great to see him. And Oh, my uh, gosh. I loved I just, hearing from Steve Boyan. What a ball of energy and knowledge and just yeah, great guy. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll have him back to talk about the end and then maybe- We're definitely going to have him back episode. Uh, because he's a- But uh, he's, he's, uh, he's fantastic. And it really, it made me, honestly, it, it made me like this episode even more. I mean, I already liked it, but just to talk to him about yeah. it and- how poignant it was in in the history of Supernatural in terms of Kim Manners, oh, yeah. uh, losing Kim Manners during this Agreed. time. Um, and uh, and just what a great guy. So great. Uh, what a great guy. And now it's time for the part of the program that you and I call mythology. Mythology! 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 No, wait, that's the wrong high voice version of mythology. It should be mythology. 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 Um, okay, Reaper, and this might be a surprise to you, is short for Grim Reaper. Hmm. I had no idea what the Reaper's first name was. Yeah. Do it's, you it's, fear the Reaper? Um. Because you shouldn't, I guess is my point. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. Look, you want my advice? Don't fear the Reaper. Grab a cowbell. Just don't fear the Reaper. So Mr. Reaper, or Grimm, is a cultural and symbolic figure that has evolved over centuries and is often associated with death. Pretty much always, I would go ahead and yeah. say. It, often associated with death or uh -huh. snack cooking. Uh -huh. No, it's always death. Like <laughs> The concept of personification of death has roots in various cultures and religions throughout history. In ancient Greek mythology, Thanatos was the personification of death. In Roman mythology, the counterpart was Mors or Letum. These figures were often depicted as winged beings, emphasizing the swift and inevitable nature of death. And I wonder if um, Thanatos has any link to Thanos. I wonder the same thing, yeah. that character in the... In show? The, yeah, in the show, in the, uh, you know. Movies. Avengers. During the Middle Ages, the Black Death, bubonic plague, ravaged Europe, leading to a heightened awareness of mortality. This period saw the emergence of the Dance Macabre, Dance of Death, in art and literature, where death was portrayed as a skeletal figure leading people from all walks of life in a dance symbolizing the universal nature of death. During outbreaks of the bubonic plague in Europe, doctors wore distinctive masks with long beaks filled with herbs. By the way, those, those masks are so creepy looking. So weird. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, these masks uh, were believed would protect them from the disease. The traditional reaper's robe is thought to be reminiscent of the robes that religious figures of the time wore when conducting funeral services. These masks and robes, combined with the association of death from the plague, contributed to the image of death as a skeletal figure. The traditional scythe is an apt image taken from agricultural practices of the time. Harvesters used scythes to reap or harvest crops that were ready to be plucked from the earth. I don't know if I knew that. Ooh and grody and ugh. Huh. I know those beaks are creepy. That much I do know. Yeah, really creepy. The creepy beaks. You know what? I think it's just time to just move on to some fun stuff. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cleanse our palate here. It's time for fun facts. Fun the name of this episode is taken from the 1934 movie Death Takes a Holiday. In it, death takes human form and falls in love. Ah, uh, even though Sam and Dean are in spirit form, at times... You can see their breath when they yeah. are outside. I noticed that. It's cold, cold Vancouver days. <laughs> Snow on the ground. Yeah. And Even like, spirits are freezing. Yeah. Like a woman on, is running and she runs through them, you know. Right. They're, they're breathing. <laughs> breathing it's in. awesome. Well, uh, this was fun. It was great. It's a good one, man. Really good stuff in this episode. Really interesting and heartbreaking. I was moved when that little boy got 
transported to the uh, other world by the Reaper, I, I got choked up. I thought it was yes. a really well done episode. A lot of cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. And yeah. unique. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it felt like the first time we've seen those two dudes together in another plane or another existence. And yeah. It's it, not. It's one of the earlier versions of it, if not the first. It definitely felt like a different, yeah, different uh, world, but really cool. Really, really cool. Really like well done. Kind of, really, yeah, I like the kind of thing. And they, they portrayed the whole ghost thing so well, too. Um, so good job, everybody. Yeah. High fives all around. Yeah. I and mean, we'll see you next time. Yes, we will. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, and Misha Collins as Castiel. Guest stars included Thunderbird Dimwitty, Christopher Heyerdahl, Lindsay McKeon, Alexander Gould, and Mike Dopid. Death Takes a Holiday was written by Jeremy Carver, directed by Steve Boyum. Editing by Nicole Baer, music by Jay Gruska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. This episode originally aired on March 12, 2009. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up Music provided by Tim Wynn. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at SPN Then and Now. Become a member of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash SPN then and now. Hey, uh, team uh, podcast, keep recording for a second. I want to share something with you guys. It just came out uh, in the trades that David Nutter, director of the pilot of Supernatural, is going to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the DGA, which makes him only the sixth director to wow. ever receive one of the Guild's top accolades. Wow. That's pretty That's freaking cool. phenomenal. Great. It'll yeah. be on the uh, 76th Annual DGA Awards Ceremony on Saturday, February 10th, 2024, but that just popped up on the dga yeah. feed i was like whoa that's, that's awesome <laughs> that's really cool it's great rob you want to try to eat more food while we're doing our intro you got a mouth full of food he's like <laughs> i was doing my bing crosby impersonation did bing crosby eat obsessively during uh his work with bob hope i don't recall that i didn't, I didn't know bing crosby had an eating disorder yeah okay well Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. And I'm Bing Crosby. Hey, be sure to follow the podcast on YouTube and TikTok at SPN Then and Now. Go look at your clips. <laughs> You're a hell of a salesman, Robbo. <laughs> now I want to go. No, really, there's fun extra stuff. We got video, we've got clips. We're, audio? We got audio. We're really clipping. We're clipping along. Are we sure we know what's there? Castiel also explains to Dean that his is different. Is what? I don't know. Story Bell Media. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.